Hello and welcome to Making of an Historian, the podcast chronicling one grad student's quest to study for his comprehensive exams. Today I want to talk about the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution is this moment in history that we understand as changing the way that people work and things are made. And I want to give a particular account of the Industrial Revolution today. It's different from some of the other accounts that you may have heard in the past. This account sees the big change in how things are made and people work, not necessarily in machines, but in the availability of energy. So before I get stuck in on that kind of weird account of the Industrial Revolution, I want to tell you about what other people have said about it. The Industrial Revolution is usually pointed to as a bunch of inventions that start sometime around 1780 in Britain. These are uh, steam engines, new kinds of ways of spinning and weaving cotton thread, new ways of making iron, and so on. The idea is that the Industrial Revolution allowed people to make stuff in factories that increased, in turn, the material wealth of people that made people better off and allowed more people to work outside of agriculture. It's important because it seems to undergird the world in which we live, in which we have tons more stuff than anybody has ever had ever before. One influential set of explanations for why the Industrial Revolution happened in Britain and why it happened when it did is, let's call them the Liberty Folks. And they believe that after 1688 with the Glorious Revolution, that Britain got a bunch of good institutions that lowered transaction costs and let people basically build up a ton of capital because they weren't afraid of the state taking stuff. Another flavor of this argues that because of the peculiar nature of open British society, that uh, Britain was able to have a public sphere that allowed um, thinkers and makers to talk to each other and thus spread ideas. There's another group of people who we might call the oppression theorists. And for these people, the Industrial Revolution happened in Britain because Britain had a special kind of oppression going on. Eric Williams, for example, argues that the Industrial Revolution was based on capital that came from the slave trade. Another flavor of this argues that the factory development so central to uh Industrial Revolution was originally developed not to increase efficiency, but rather to increase control. We can see some flavors of this too in ecological Marxists who argue that the reason why uh, British factories move from water to steam power is not because steam power is cheaper or more efficient. It actually wasn't. It was because steam power was easier to control. Then there is a third group of uh, uh, explanations which look at this as purely a technological advance. They look merely at the accretion of various scientific advances. We're going to deal with that in a different episode. In addition to these theories, I think that there is, over the past 10 or 15 years, an important corrective that looks at the Industrial Revolution as a history of changes in energy. 
Paul Ward and others uh, make a nice conceptual uh, ad- addition to this called a development block. Their idea is that we're not simply talking about particular technologies, we're talking about interlocking technologies and practices that work together. Not simply coal, but the uh, operations of coal mining and steam and railways that all work together in an interlocking whole. Now, I've discussed on this podcast many times before the importance of cheap energy, but just to recap it all, just imagine a world when everybody had to rely on muscle power to get stuff done. This was harder because there simply wasn't as much power to go around. It was harder to do basic things like draw and carry water, transport goods, heat homes and cook uh, and make things well lit. All of these changes were very important, but I think that it is the deeper change that matters, the fact that energy as a whole becomes cheaper. And this pushes development, the creation of new inventions, the development of the economy, into new directions. Because when energy gets cheap, then new technologies focus more on exploiting cheap energy instead of focusing, say, on making more intense uh, production methods or saving resources or perhaps taking a less material path towards growth. And I like the energy-focused perspective of the Industrial Revolution because it is more expansive than the usual story, which follows uh, usually the development of a number of key industries, mostly cotton. Cotton, I think, is not a great... uh, uh, focus for the study of the Industrial Revolution, even though it was the biggest industry, uh, even though it allows us to connect slavery and the Industrial Revolution, because cotton was not especially energy intensive. Uh, It was very possible to do a lot of the uh, um, technological developments of uh, of the cotton revolution without relying on steam. When we look at energy, we look at different developments, primarily the development of iron and railroads. We've discussed this before in the past, so I I really don't want to get too deep into it, but I want to explain why iron and railroads are so important and why cotton isn't as important. People who talk about cotton say that it created a lot of capital for the economy. But Britain didn't need capital. It was overcapitalized. It had a lot of money floating around. What Britain needed was a place to put that capital. And railroads were a fantastic uh, investment. Especially after 1819 and the government debt starts to decrease, British investors are looking desperately for places to park their money that will provide good rates of return. Railroads are incredibly expensive, and they also are incredibly useful, and so they can provide very stable rates of return for long periods of time, which is why British investors liked to invest in them, and then also to invest in a lot of the other capital-intensive infrastructure projects that I think are the key leading sectors of the Industrial Revolution. So not only are railroads better as a source of capital than, than cotton, also Railroads have really important knock-on effects to other industries because they lower the price of transportation for everything. This does a number of things. 
First, it helps to expand national markets even further. It helps to eliminate the problems of distance that uh, have plagued earlier economies. This just makes it easier for things to get increasingly specialized and more efficient, and also uh, weirder. It allows for, for more intense kinds of production in particular specialized areas. It also changed where production could happen. Now that the cost of shipping was rapidly decreasing, you could have new kinds of industrial development that were less tied to the natural world. By this, I mean the really important thing of uh, uh, the creation of cities that have development clusters specialized in particular kinds of goods. We can think of them as Victorian-era Silicon Valleys, or, you know, I guess Iron Valleys would be a, a, a better, more accurate way to put it. But with the costs of transportation lowered, you got this increasing geographical specialization. And there's a really big, important feedback loop. As the cost of transportation decreases, the cost of getting coal to different places decreases as well, allowing the spread of even more cheap energy. None of these kinds of feedback loops happen with cotton. Cotton is not an industry-producing industry the same way that the railroads are an industry-producing industry. But importantly, all of these industries that the cheap energy uh, regime of the early 19th century produces are uh, energy biased. They're not biased towards skilled laborers. And that affects the way that the Industrial Revolution unfolds, because it privileges the people who own capital, not the people who own skills or labor or uh, resources in the ground. Well, look, I'm getting tired. It's episode 99, and I'm going to end this a little bit early because I think that I'm just repeating things that I've said in earlier podcasts. Uh, thanks very much for listening to this episode of Making of a Story. And if you like the show, rate and review us on iTunes, share us on social media, tell a friend, tweet a question to me at, at MackieTeacher, M-A-C-K-I-E-T-A-C-H-E-R. Thanks to Duncan Barton for the image and Jonathan Lear for the music. I'll be back to you guys tomorrow for episode 100 and 101. Uh, and we will wrap up this bout of studying. Thanks very much for listening and joining me on this journey.